Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. And this is Zenith, that podcast where animals were harmed in the making of this production. Because this week we watched Animals. In by Alan Pryor. Directed by Mary Ridge. And aired on October 26th, 1981. So, so yeah, animals. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard all sorts of great things about this episode before we watched it. Yep, and I've seen this where the wild things are looking beast for lack or hesitance to say another word forever you know people have just posted pictures of this thing saying look at this thing like well, what a mistake or you know something like that um but uh yeah no I, I i didn't think this was as bad as people have made it out to be maybe this was just like a reverse gambit situation where people were like yeah gambit is amazing and, and people you know said this sucked and yeah, I think it did suck, but it was on like it was in like the higher reaches of of suck. I think this is the most boring episode of Blake Seven in existence. <laughs> uh, Traitor's worse. Traitor no, was not more in my boring. opinion. Traitor was more boring. This one was. This is like the bottom. This is bottom three for me, along with Traitor and Orac for this, sure. I mean, this, showing people this episode is against the Geneva Convention <laughs> because it's cruel and unusual punishment. So. <laughs> In regards to Doctor Who, we're still in the interseason era, although at this point, you really shouldn't be surprised by that statement. At least I'm pretty sure we're still in the interseason era. I'll admit, I actually forgot <laughs> to look it up this week, and I'm just kind of guessing. Yeah, uh, you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll look it up next week and just correct myself if I was wrong. That also makes me realize I was planning to look up, or at least try and find out why... Only Dana and Tarrant are really in the first 15 minutes of this, or 20. But I didn't. I'm sure there's some story behind it. Or maybe not. Well, I found maybe out not. according to one of the emails we received, and now I can't remember if it was for Star Drive or if it was for this, but in one of the emails, someone told us that Glynis Barber and Stephen Pacey were having a bit of a fling behind the scenes, which has nothing to do with why it would be Dana and Tarrant in this episode, but... It All starts right, with mean, Dana and Tarrant. Yeah, yeah. And only Dana and Tarrant on the Scorpio, which was kind of weird and never really explained in the episode. Yeah, this is really the first time I think this has ever happened. You know, Blake Seven has always uh, had characters who who don't do Jack, you know, in a, in a particular episode, but they're always there. Yeah, this sort episode of... goes further and just completely removes them from the equation. <laughs> As you find out later, Sulin, Avon... And Villa are all back on Xenon base. Just waiting, I guess. What, was that what it was? I thought they were just... I thought they were on the Scorpio. I guess, yeah, I guess they no, weren't. They were I guess on, they weren't. They were back yeah. on Xenon base because when Tarrant gets completely bombarded in a minute, spoiler alert, he has to call up Avon and Avon's like, you've done so much damage to this <laughs> ship, bring it back to the base so yeah. we can repair it. yeah. Yeah, that's even weirder. What were uh, Tarrant and Dana doing off what by themselves? What were they themselves? up to? Hmm? <laughs> Stealing Scorpio for a nice little jaunt around the, the local star systems. But, it, I mean, it, right off the bat, it begins with them just beaming Dana down and not explaining, like, anything. Except Dana's like, oh, this guy, Justin, was, like, a former partner of, of my dad. And he trained us in some stuff. Tarrant's like, cool. Go find them. Yeah, she he, beams him he, down. He was he was her teacher. He beams he, her down. Sorry, that's yeah. the verse. <laughs> he was her teacher, 
I don't know what he taught her. I don't remember. I don't know if they even ever said. I think it was <laughs> how to use weapons. I don't know. I I I, I mean, right off the bat, I just want to say that Dana's makeup was pretty much the most most interesting thing about this episode because it looks great. <laughs> All right, good job, um, makeup designers. I guess is the Your makeup term. crew. It's sort of like blue and red blended around her eyes. Looks pretty cool. I think it uh, it doesn't make up for anything in the story, but, you know, it, at least it was, was cool to look at, I suppose. I mean, once we get Justin, it's it's very clear that... <laughs> it's very clear that... Uh, gosh, who was... I don't know who, who played him. I should have looked this up, but it's very oh, clear... Justin? That, yeah. It's very clear that he's, like, the weakest link. Peter Byrne? Peter Byrne. He's, Peter Byrne. He's probably in Doctor Who at some point. I'm going to look him up. Peter Byrne. Peter Byrne was an English actor. Thanks, Wikipedia. He was born in West Ham, Essex. Nope. Apparently huh. not. That's a surprise. But, you know, he, he was, it's very clear that he was the weakest link in terms of acting in this episode. <laughs> and I know we got an email from RG saying, you know, she, she thought that... um. Servalan and Dana mm-hmm. were not as good as they previously have been, and that this guy was was passable at least. But I'm the complete. I think this guy was bringing it down, not only in terms of Justin's like actual character, but I mean, I think Servalan was built, was subpar. You know, I'm, I'm Dana. I Dana, know. I think was the best. I, I think, think Jacqueline Pierce was was great in this. Oh, I disagree. <laughs> I think she really dropped the ball on this. I think you could tell that she holds a lot of just <laughs> apathy towards this story, <laughs> like in her but acting. Not, but not for traitor, man. <laughs> I think you can really tell Jacqueline Pierce's thoughts on on this script and this story, and it comes across pretty obviously in her acting to me. But no, I, I really do think Josette Simon was Josette Simon. Yeah, was doing most of the like in the scenes that just have her and Justin which was like half the episode, she was definitely doing all the heavy lifting, I think, in those scenes. She was doing all the heavy lifting in the entire episode, <laughs> including when she was with Stephen Pacey. <laughs> Ted- well, Stephen Pacey... Uh, I'm, I'm a little also hesitant to say this, but he always... He tends to have, like, this wink-wink look into the camera, like, look how over-the-top I kind of am. <laughs> Sometimes, you know. In Paul a way, does in that a way, again in this episode. <laughs> which I'm going to bring up because I thought it was just hilarious and I act- <laughs> it was the only thing in this episode that actually made me laugh. But when we, I don't know. Avon felt more like his old self in this, but we'll get to him. Well, Avon is in this for a grand total. I'm sure if you summed up every minute Avon's on screen in this, it would come to be less than four. Probably. But Tant- Same with Sulin and, and Villa, really. Yeah. Well, so Tant all of a sudden slaves like, yo, we've got some Federation... Patrols and Tan's like, wow, that was really quick. Thanks, slave. <laughs> and then Tan totally eats it against these pursuit ships because he takes like three plasma bolts to the starboard and rear sides. And this was something that I was like, man, really continuing that weird feeling of this being a pastiche of, or a parody of the previous seasons because like previous season they were like, oh, Tan's the best space pilot ever and he does that move where he rolls the liberator and escapes those ships that no one's ever seen before and then this he just gets completely destroyed <laughs> by three federation ships that he can easily outrun in this much quicker ship 
yeah, you, you know, <laughs> they are a lot quicker now, but maybe, maybe that was the Liberator's, you know, awesomeness, making up for his lack of skill. And now that he's in the Scorpio, he's just like, oh, what am I doing, guys? What am I doing? Maybe, but I doubt it. <laughs> Since they introduced Ted as, like, the one of the best pilots in the galaxy, sort of as a replacement for Jenna. Yeah, maybe he was just lying through his teeth like all the other characters were. <laughs> or I mean, I'm sure like there was an was. element of that right up until the moment where he does that roll maneuver and everyone's like, wow, he's the best space pilot I've ever seen. Because yeah, they're like, wow, know, that's a pretty good maneuver, Tarrant. Yeah. Like that Again, whole maybe episode that was the was, Liberator's autopilot just going all out. Yeah, really doubt it. Be sure we talked about this in that episode <laughs> that if it was the Liberator's autopilot, why haven't they done it before? But... We just never thought to do it. Never were over the top enough to do it. Never Maybe. needed to do it. Never crossed their minds. Never, uh, you know, Maybe. who knows. I just thought it was weird that all of a sudden Tarrant is just totally getting smashed by the Federation patrol, even though really they've posed no threat to him at all. Before, and yeah, Scorpio doesn't, I guess, have the weapons armament that the Liberator did, but... It's it's more maneuverable than the Liberator was. It's clearly like uh, I don't. Well, I definitely say it's more maneuverable than the Liberator was. The Liberator is like five times the size, and but it's faster. Like no, it's, it's a lot not. faster. It's slower. It's slower because we know now that the Scorpio can do what whatever oh, it was yeah, whatever, standing by twelve whatever. that no ships ever achieved before, including the Liberator, you know, I guess. Well, so. When Star Drive, we were like, yeah, they're never going to bring that up again. And, and they brought up immediately this week. No, they didn't. They did, actually. When when the guy was talking with Servalan, he was like, oh, the ship escaped at Time Distort 12. And she's like, wow, no ship can ever go Time oh, Distort 12. Wow. Wow. That's how she figured out that it was, like, probably them. So. Anyway, Dana gets down. Onto the planet, and it had a name, and I don't remember what it was. And it was kind of irrelevant, since they never bring it up again, so. <laughs> but she gets to Justin's sort of base, but not before she runs into some animals. <laughs> and, I don't have you, had you seen these things before? No. Because I'd seen them posted, like, everywhere. Like, people were posting pictures of these things, of these things like crazy. No, I've I've never seen them and, before. And they kind of look like abominable snowmen with horns and, and very human like faces. Yeah, it's kinda of terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the horns I guess are just decorative because they're just used to be they're they were created by Justin to be sort of radiation <laughs> puppets, I guess. <laughs> Well, he reveals that they were created to go into radioactive areas, areas and and do heavy lifting that they didn't want regular people, I guess, to do. But right, then which they, is like, what rebelled. this is. This is what Justin explains when Dana gets to his compound. He's the only person there, and right off the bat, there's there's like Romantic an infatuation. Tension. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, before we get into that, I want to say that amazingly, this story actually references Traitor when Dana explains why they came looking for Justin, because she's like, we we were looking for you because we were hoping you could help us synthesize this drug that could counteract this new drug the Federation's created that makes people docile. And I was like, huh, guess she's referring to Pylene 50 from Traitor. Yeah, I didn't, uh, didn't actually pick up on that. Yeah. But they, but they mentioned Hal as well, so, you know, nice callback there. 
yeah, it was at least Alan Pryor putting in a surprising amount of callbacks and, and connecting threads between this and the other stories. Not that it makes it any less no, boring. No, no, no. But yeah, right off the bat, there's this like romantic tension, and we we should we should probably talk about, about this about that because Blake Seven. I mean, up until this point, Blake Seven hasn't had exactly the best history with making non-awkward romantic pairings. I'm Wait, looking at Avon, you, Blake. <laughs> Blake and Inga. Blake and Inga. Avon and Anna was done well because it wasn't really the romance that was like the main sort yeah. of driving thing in that. But uh, yeah, you know, you look back at Blake and Inga, which was incest, and then now there's this, which it's is a massive Avon and age Callie, gap. Uh, Avon and Callie, sure. Was a little bit just kind of awkward because it was like Avon and the high priestess. She looked like Callie, and then we never really found out. <laughs> Callie bit the dust before anything could happen. <laughs> I mean, unless they were just banging him, like, <laughs> off-screen. <laughs> That's where the fanfics come in. A hundred percent one of those exists. <laughs> anyway, I mean, the way I sort of read this, or what I took away from it, was that this was sort of a childhood infatuate, because Dana was, was, was taught by this guy as a child, right? So I think this was sort of a childhood infatuation with this, like, older guy, right? And then now that Dana comes back, you know... 10, 15 years later, Justin's like, uh <laughs> Which, 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 look, I'm, <laughs> which, which, <laughs> which is interesting enough as it is, weird enough, I guess, as it is. I mean, it's really weird. <laughs> but it's, it's, it gets it's, even weirder when you find out that Dana still harbors these emotions it's weird for so many reasons not the least of which is that one justin worked with her dad <laughs> yeah that's true and i guess now that hell is not around two oh, that justin God. is like probably twice her age at least yeah yeah i mean especially since if he worked with her dad and she's supposed to be like a teenager i guess or late teenager maybe early 20s uh, maybe early 20s now since some time has passed yeah. since last season yep he's probably in his late 40s early 50s or even older or even older than that his hair looks gray yeah don't try <laughs> don't so try maybe, and tone this down in <laughs> 60s <laughs> and like it's like really weird for him too because he was in this like mentorship role Oh, yeah. For her. Oh, yeah. And now he's like... I mean, he implies that he's had these feelings for, like, years. Which is also weird because, what, the last time he saw her, she would have been a couple, couple years younger. Like, single digits? Uh, possibly. Low teens to single digits. <laughs> God. Which is, you know, there's so many things wrong with this. And I feel like if you, we have to enumerate what's wrong to you. No, I mean, we, we, we don't. We don't need to. And I, I just question. It's I, inclusion. I, I mean, a question is inclusions. One of the emails we got said that originally it was supposed to be Callie and that that would have basically removed all the awkwardness of this romance because, you know, Callie was shown to be. Older, and we don't Older. know the Oron life cycle. So we don't know the well, Oron do life we? cycle. I don't we, know. we 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 never kind of. really knew exactly how old Callie was, but she was implied to be at least like uh, about as old as Avon, and they seem to be in there. You know, I would guess. 
we found the thirties. Yeah. I mean, when we found out Blake was 30, like not in his thirties, but 30, we were like, whoa. And I think if it was Callie, then it would have been, I mean, I don't think it would have been okay. Cause it, it still seems like Justin's definitely in his fifties. Yeah. It, it, it would have been no, but I mean, better, also, also like less weird, I guess is what I'm looking for. Not necessarily better, but less just kind of weird. Yeah. Awkward. Yeah. Yeah. And questionable. For sure. For sure. But he also, like, this would have been, since this was originally supposed to be Callie, this would have been such a good opportunity to actually have Su Lin do something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I mean, I guess the thing is that, that Su Lin is supposed to have spent most of her life on that planet with Dorian. Yeah, that's true. I guess. You know, I don't also, know, I, I, I don't I, know I, if, I, if, if the relationship between Callie and Justin would have been the same as it was, it, you know between Justin and Dana in that Justin was... Well, no, because it was definitely mentor. it was definitely rewritten for Dana, which is, I mean, it's good that they at least went that far. Right. I, I mean, it obviously resulted in this... In this. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's better than just, you know, tr- imposing Callie's lines on Sulin, you know? Yeah. Crossing out Callie's name and writing in Sulin. Right. It's weirder, too, because it seems like when this romance is introduced, Dana kind of brushes off Justin's advances or kind of plays coy about it. But then halfway through the episode, Servaline captures her and she's like, I love him. I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> it's also a very strange turn for Dana's... Well, we'll talk about more. We'll talk about it more when we get there. Because Justin explains what he's been doing all these years, which is breeding this species to well not to, just breeding genetic engineering right He's and been, like yeah. when, and when you find out well we already explained what they're for which is to do manual labor in radiated areas but like when you find that out you question their design or at least i did because like why do they have the horns why do they look like yeti why do they why just what's going on here justin like Maybe Justin just wanted a fuzzy fin to cuddle up with at night because he's been alone. Later on... With huge horns that can impale him. Later on, there's this weird implication that the reason why he's so in love with Dana is because she's the first human he's seen in, like, decades. No, but that's not, like... There's But then there's also the, the implication that he's always been infatuated her with her since she was a child. Yeah. Never thought I'd be saying that on recording. <laughs> Oh boy, this is going to be an interesting one. As soon as Dana arrives, Justin's like, "Here, have a stimulant. It's just adrenaline. <laughs> it's just oh yeah, right. It's just adrenaline. It's just adrenaline yeah. and soma, but it's all I've got." And then he yeah, pours this, no, this definitely rings of like. Have you ever watched To Catch a Predator where the guy's like, "You know, come over. I brought. I, you know, we can just have a few beers and stuff like that." It gets it gets worse later on. When she shows up in her I hate him state and he offers her a sedative. He's like, here, take this sedative. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll get there. We'll we'll get there because I have things to say about that too. But Justin pours Dana a noticeably small amount of the stimulant. I mean, I just thought back to... (laughs) Like when Zilla was chugging it down. (laughs) That, and also when John was like, that's probably creme de menthe, just straight creme de menthe in that glass, and the actors are probably just getting smashed (laughs) on set, and I was like, oh, probably pouring a noticeably small amount because it's just 
convinced, which I found out, by the way, is 25% alcohol by volume. (laughs) So then she's like, yeah, I I guess I'll help you with your stuff. Not that I've ever been shown to be a scientist that specializes in genetic modification, (laughs) but yeah, I'll help you out. (laughs) Doesn't he sort of beg her, if I remember correctly? Well, yeah, because she's like, we were looking to recruit you to help us synthesize this drug to counteract this drug that the Federation had made. Right. And then he's like, I like the Federation's prospect even less than I like the proposal, even less than I like yours. She's like, so you're not going to come help us then? He's like, nope. She's like, damn. Well, Avon was really hoping you'd turn. His his one chance off the planet and he doesn't... I guess he doesn't want to leave. I don't know. We should also... Dana. (laughs) True. We should mention his stilted acting. His lines were delivered in such an awkward fashion, you know, he... Uh, Can we also this... talk about how it looks like his eyes are in a constant state of surprise? <laughs> They're so wide. <laughs> I just thought nothing about this character was was good, from the acting to the concept to really anything. I like the costume. Oh, yeah, the costume was pretty cool, you're right. It's got a... On his, sort of, I think his left shoulder, it's got like a sort of a, a quarter of a black circle that's cut off by the shoulder and then surrounded by a white one, surrounded by a red one, and the rest of the outfit's white. I thought it looked really cool. Yeah, it looks actually almost kind of contemporary or, or modern, I guess I should say, in, in like how it's all white and there are just little splotches of color here and there. Yeah. That's also something, now that we bring that up, I want to mention the ships in this episode, and we haven't gotten all of them yet because we get more when Servaland shows up. And everything, but I realized a lot of the ships in Series D have that sort of same look, right? They're like mostly white or mostly gray, and they have little stripes or or spots of color, and they really have a, a prequel trilogy Star Wars feel to them. Obviously, this predates that by like twenty years, but no, they I mean they really do. Like if you look at Servaland's ship in this, and you know the first thing I thought was it's just because I haven't watched enough stuff, but. First thing I thought was, you know, prequel trilogy, just how it looks, how there's like a single stripe of red on it, and the rest is gray. Yeah, I or mean, brown, I think maybe. I think there is a limited amount of ways you can design a spaceship. Uh, I mean, uh, not really. You could... I, I mean, th- well, remember that Durian thing? Remember Ultra World? They're just like, yep, this is a ship. And remember, okay, um, well, that looked like sarcophagus. Okay, well, that looked like someone was just like having their lunch one day, and they're like, "Hey guys, I got this durian fruit," and someone's like, "Genius, let's put yeah, that, that on camera." Ao brings a durian into the lunchroom. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, what I was gonna say is, I think there's like, well, I, okay, at least I think there's distinctly three classes of of spaceship design. There's the very industrial looking thing that a lot of Blake 7 goes for, the Scorpio. Uh, a lot of Serverland ships look very steampunky and gray and industrial and And, and the Liberator, and which was... Blue this, collar. Which was... Okay, sure. Which was almost the opposite of that, just to show yeah. how different it was, the, in a the, way. The, like, sleek, Apple futurism kind of look, where everything is clean lines, sort of, you know, like the Enterprise or, or the Liberator. Or, and then I think there's the third category, which is just... Uh, the third category is the miscellaneous category, like <laughs> like the Durian from Ultra World and the Sarcophagus. From and, Sarcophagus? And, and, and Spaceship Earth from, what was that one, Ultra World? What? As well. The one that looked like a big spiky ball. Yeah, that was that Durian. was Ultra World. Yeah, the, the miscellaneous, <laughs> the, 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 the form of a function category. <clears throat> And 
because of that, I think that it's it's more likely that that you are going to see similarities between ship designs. For yeah, ex- like, sure. I think the Scorpio, I think the the Raza from Dark Matter looks a lot like the Scorpio does in design. It, very similarly shaped. The kind of boxy parts are in similar locations. I think they look pretty similar, in my opinion. But, you know, that might just be because they're both very industrial kind of looking designs. I don't know. Post a picture of that ship in the show notes. Decide for yourself if I'm just going crazy from watching Blake 7 for 43, 44 weeks in a row or not. Anyway, back to the story at hand. Tarrant gets completely owned and limps back to Xenon base and they decide to throw Villa into what I guess is like the sewage tank. I love this. This is one of my favorite parts of the episode. Because uh, you know you never can get enough of of, uh, of Villa complaining about the jobs he's doing. <laughs> I love the scene also where Villa's in focus and everyone else is in the background. The background's out of focus, but you can tell like as soon as Villa's like, "Well, who's gonna do that?" <laughs> and then they all just sort of look at him. You're just like, "Oh, great." Well, they send him down to fix it, and he comes back up. The- I'm going to explain the entire storyline of Avon and his buddies for the <laughs> entire episode, save for the last five minutes. Because uh, we only see them in, in legitimately two scenes. The first one is where they decide they need to fix the thing. And the second scene is when Orak is like, hey, it's not fixed. And then Avon's like, Vela, you got to go back down there. And he's like, damn. And then Terrence's like, good thing you didn't get cleaned up. And then he goes down. And there was a funny line Well, then here. they go down to the planet and have that Yeah, well, that's in the last fight. five minutes. But there's this funny line where, where Villa's like, glass of wine, or I'm not doing it at all. When I get back up, and then Avon's like half a glass, and then Villa's getting ready to go down. It's like before I go down, and and then Avon's like, "Don't push your luck." And Villa's like, "What luck?" And then just goes down into the. I guess it's like a sewage tank, but it's some sort of like flooded, oily compartment. That I guess Villa's the only one though that's going to be thrown in or is willing, although he's not really willing to go down there. I don't know. He has a high tolerance for putting up with other people's nonsense, I guess. <laughs> he's got to keep his cover. <laughs> it's interesting yeah, that we... Yeah, you know, if he's going to pretend to be a fool, he's got to make himself useful, you know? And they all know that he's just pretending at this point. They all know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's basically told them all, so... <laughs> he's told them all he's, he's basically a genius and <laughs> is more capable than any of them. But he just he, he continues with this, like, bumbling sure, yeah. act. <laughs> and they just let him. <laughs> They're just like, there goes Villa again, <laughs> pretending to be an idiot. It's like, Villa could probably get us... I mean, I would be... Th- like, if I were in their shoes, I would be thinking that, like, Villa could probably get us out of this life-or-death situation, but he's not going to. <laughs> I'm, I like that we're seeing more of the crew getting down and dirty with the ship since the, the Liberator was so much of... The self-repair mechanisms are activated now, and... You know, any damage is going to be repaired automatically. In, in, in contrast, in Scorpio, in the Scorpio, we're seeing that the crew themselves have to actually take initiative here and go down and and fix the the broken engine or fix the regulator or you know whatever is actually broken. They got to do it by hand themselves. Right. That's something they've been doing a, a pretty good job of with Scorpio so far. You know, a lot of these situations that the Scorpio has gotten into, like, being chased by pursuit ships or things breaking. You know, you think, if this were on the Liberator, this would just be the flip of a switch, or this would just be a problem that, would, that they wouldn't have to worry about. Right. Which is really cool. I like that, yeah. 
in regards to Dana and Justin, they kind of just flirt for the like, next 30 there's minutes. There's so much with them, but like it all feels so... Spice. Right. That's because it is spice. Because, yeah, there's a lot of interactions between them, but there's no actual, like, plot, if that makes sense. Like, they're just kind of talking about... They're just kind of talking about things. They're not making any progress with the animals right up until the end when Dana's like, well, what if Og will trust me instead of you? But until that point, it's just Dana's like, oh, I did this slide... And then Justin's like, cool, thanks, awkwardly puts his hands on top of her hands in a flirtatious manner. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of that until we get Servalan, who we find out is pretending to be Sleer. Still. And I really like this. I mean... All those people know. I mean, there's, really? no, there's no way those people don't know. <laughs> but, like, really? I, I didn't think they knew. I think they know. Maybe some of them I think they're know. just humoring her like Servaland. <laughs> just like Villa. Like, like, if, like, like if they admit she's, they know she's Servaland, they're dead. So they're yeah. Like, I mean, that's what the, that's what the, when they meet the guy. Yeah, that is. Tobias Vaughn. Yeah. I, I, knew, I noticed it was him despite that shield. That like eye shield. Yeah, what that guy's actual, what's that guy's actual name? He's been with like seven before. Oh, the actor's name? Yeah. Kevin Stoney. He's yeah. pe- he was in Hostage. Uh, he pl- he just played one of the government servants in, oh. in Hostage. The character's name is... Is, is he the is only Artis. person other than Deep Roy who's been in two roles in this show? I think uh, so. Possibly. Probably. Unless there were just some background Federation officers who were also other <laughs> people. Well... Well, he shows up, and his entire purpose seems to be to just tell Servaland what's going on on that planet. <laughs> right, because I don't even remember. Like, he worked like with blind. Justin. Uh, but, like, I thought when he first came in, he was just pretending to be blind so that he wouldn't have to deal with the, like, whole Servaland Sleer nonsense. But apparently he actually was, but he just recently went blind because he's not adept at, like, traversing the area as a blind person or something like that. I don't know. And those goggles are supposed to like give him a sense of the general layout of the area. He's like, they don't let me see, but they tell me where things are. But I mean, I really thought it was going to be like, he wasn't actually blind. In fact, he was seeing Servaland, you know, through the device or whatever it was, but no, apparently it's not. And you know, this is one of those things where I'm sure they all know. And they're just humoring Servaland, (laughs) like, ah, Servaland, go over there and play with your toys. Like, we know you're Slayer, but... Go over there and play with your little alias for... Yeah, like, Slayer, we know you're Servaland, but, like... I didn't get that impression. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe I was I mean, this guy is, like, only so... I mean, Servaland knew all the details about this planet, and she's like, oh, did she? Hmm. And the guy's like, I recognize your voice, and she's like, do you now? And he's like, ah... Never mind. Well, this, this guy for sure, and maybe the people that Servaland sort of converses with, but I don't know that all of the people working for her, you know, the people in the background, the people operating the computers or whatever, which, interestingly, there's a display in the background of this set that looks a lot like Zen. Did you notice that? Yeah. It's it's sort of, yeah, it's sort of, it's not spherical. It's sort of just a flat part of the wall that has these sort of flashing squares of light. The entire layout of the bridge of Servaland's ship is really questionable to me because Servaland's sitting in, like, I don't know, it's not really a command chair. It looks like sort of like a rest area, like a bunch of pillows. She's just kind of chilling there. And that's like not even centered. 
Well, on that's, the bridge is like off to the corner. The whole bridge is like trapezoidal shape or a rhomboid. I, I thought that was another room. The room where they tortured Dana later on, I think, is a different. I thought room. that was just like off the side, like sort of like where the teleporter is on the bridge of the Scorpio, like kind of mirrored on the other side. On yeah, the right maybe. side, there's the torture chair is just chilling there. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Speaking of Scorpio, there was this really cool shot of the bridge when the on the very first shot of the episode is this is a shot of the bridge, but it kind of pans. It pans around Tarrant until it gets to Dana, and then it follows Dana as she walks to the, the teleporter. I just thought it was really cool. It showed off the bridge pretty well, too. Yeah, bridge is still awesome. Still uh, on par with the Liberator. It's growing on me, but I still put it below the Liberator. I still think it has problems. We've never seen that gun rack again since, since it was a rescue, by the way. So there's a little more. Yeah, Serverland finds out about the planet from Artis and decides to go down there because she decides right now that she wants the animals. She needs those animals. <laughs> and while I was watching this, I was like, I'm sure we've seen this before on Blake 7. Like someone created like a genetic, genetically modified creature to work. Just yeah, it was in the labor. web. The decimals. That's, that's what I, I couldn't remember which episode it was. Okay, the web. I'm sure we've seen this before. Again, by the way, this just like plays into my. I don't know if it was a theory, but what I talked about a couple of weeks ago, where the Federation seems to be just built on the backs of individual scientists, making some huge breakthrough that the Federation just steals. Uh, again, this week, Justin made these animals basically alone. The Federation's like, well, now they're mine. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a, a trend here. Dana gets kidnapped. Right. By, well, after she, she gets thrown thing. off a cliff by here's, Og. Here's the thing. So Og is one of the animals. And I'm wondering now, maybe I'm just forgetting because I had a hard time paying attention to this episode, but did the animals ever have a name? No, just Og. No, they, but I mean like they're, they're species. No, they're just the animals. <clears throat> they're literally just the animals. Both Dana and Justin call them the animals. Yeah, yeah. So Og is, is not cooperating with Justin. August is implied to be what Justin was trying to make all the other animals to be because he's like sentient and can make decisions. But Justin's been working on this little device, I guess, that he puts in uh, their, their heads that makes them subservient, which he wants to put in Og. But Og doesn't trust him because he keeps him. He uses pain to get Og to do what he wants. So Og yeah, doesn't trust him. I mean, there's there's things that's that this episode, what I got out of it. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. There's things that this episode touches on, like, you know, animal rights or issues with, like, genetic engineering and stuff like that. You know, I didn't think about that. Maybe enough as we should have. Maybe we just are writing off this episode without delving into what it's actually dealing with. But at the same time, I don't feel like this episode really delves into it very much either. Even the web, I think, does better. I was going to say, I don't think this episode really delves into any of those topics I feel like it could have delved a lot into animal rights but the thing is that i think this episode focused so much on dana and justin's relationship that you know it, it would have been really easy for this episode to talk about animal rights because dana is opposed to this idea of making the animals subservient at the beginning of the episode by the end of the episode she really seems like she doesn't care which maybe the point of the episode was was a commentary on how people don't care about about animal rights, or at least they pretend to care when it's when it's convenient to them, and then they stop caring. Maybe that's what the episode's going for. But I, if it mm. is, then it's like 
I mean, there's but there's also like connections you can make between like the animals, and then Dana gets brainwashed, right? So, mm-hmm. and these things look very human. At least their faces do. I mean, I think the reason why the episode fails in that aspect is because it's again so heavily tilted towards Dana and Justin's relationship. You know, I checking the timestamps throughout this episode as I do when the episode's boring and I don't know how much time is left. <laughs> like Dana, the Dana and Justin segment takes up until about thirty-five minutes into the episode, and the episode's forty-eight minutes long or so. Yeah. So that leaves the final thirteen minutes for Serverland to basically do the entire rest of the plot of the episode. She comes down, captures Dana, brainwashes Dana, gets into the base, kills Justin, kills the animals, the Scorpio shows up, they escape. Like, all that happens in the span of 13 minutes. Yeah. But the first 35 are just Dana and Justin basically just talking. Right, and again, about not even talking about anything interesting, just sort of... They're just sort of there. They're just sort of working. It's like it's like if you were to be a, a, a like a spectator or like a ghost or a fly on the wall in like an office somewhere... Yeah. Right? You know? The fight at the end starts legitimately like a minute and 30 seconds before the episode ends. Yeah. Like, it's that's when it starts. Yeah. And I think this episode, <laughs> if it wanted to talk about, like, those animal rights things or, or, or anything relating animals <laughs> like that. needed another draft. <laughs> it needed another pause through editing and it needed to, like, at least heavily restructure the, the structure of the episode and, and how much time was dedicated to each segment, like more time would be needed to be dedicated to like the animals themselves than <laughs> right. everything else. But anyway, let's just explain what happens here because this is actually pretty funny. Dana goes and she's like, maybe I can convince Og because I've never like tortured him. <laughs> yeah, like you, Justin. So it looks, they're standing on sort of this, not a cliff, but definitely like a, a slope. Yeah. Maybe it's definitely, it's... <laughs> God, what if Mary Ridge secretly puts ridges in all of her stories, all the things she directs? <laughs> well, that would be weird. <laughs> what if we were? The, what if she does that? What if she did that, and we were the first people to uncover it? Secret behind all of Mary Ridge's stories. What if there was a ridge in Terminus, even though I it was on a spaceship? The entire story took place on a spaceship. <laughs> anyway. Dana... Maybe Ridge directed Terminus, by the way, in case you didn't get that. <clears throat> right, on Doctor Who. Check out Trust Your Doctor, our Doctor Who podcast. Desperately needs the listeners. <laughs> anyway, Og looks like he's sort of warming up to Dana. But it turns out it's all a ploy to push her off the ridge, because as soon as she gets Not close enough... Push, he picks her up and th- oh, yeah. launches her. And it's really funny, because you see what I guess is like a Dana doll flying through the air. Yeah, I don't know I how they didn't launch the real... Gisette Simon off the ridge. I thought this was in a, a film effect. It might have been. Because it looks like a very static sort of figure just yeah. falling, not even off the ridge, but just falling from the top of the screen to the bottom of the screen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If that makes sense. But Dana's down for the count, and she gets kidnapped by Servalan. Yeah, and... And tortured. She gets put into a chair, and... Tortured until she's made to say that she hates Justin because apparently when Justin's not around, she's willing to admit she loves him. And this is, I mean, you know, this is all right in concept. You know, we've seen we've seen Avon go from, or we've seen Avon like soften at times. You know, when Anna was around, he wasn't the, you know, uncaring, cold person that he sometimes is. Mm-hmm. And th- I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Right. Even Even with Dana, who's... I mean, Serverland calls it, like, aversion therapy. Right. I mean, I just think the way that this episode went about it and the fact that it's in such a crappy episode 
is bad, but like not something I'm necessarily averse to. I mean, and also they had to do it like in such a quick manner in this episode too. Soverland gets Dana and she's like, I'm going to use aversion therapy on you. Cut to Justin smashing all his equipment because he thinks Dana's dead. Cut back to Serverland and Dana's like, I hate him. It's like, well, what, what does Serverland actually do? As you find out later, Serverland just whispered words in Dana's ears for like 30 minutes, I guess. Well, that was the reversion technique. We don't know what the the uh, the initial thing was. Suspected it's something probably similar. <laughs> probably. But, you know, we don't know for sure. What if this was all just a ruse by Dana to, like, kill Justin and kill all the, the animals? And it all goes perfectly according to plan. Yeah, at some point now, Avon's like, well, I guess we've got to go back for Dana. And they're like, why? And he's, oh, yeah. he's like, because the Federation might find out where we are from Dana. Yeah, Avon, for all for for all the, I mean... Did you get that impression that in this episode, Avon felt more like a series A through C self? Yeah, but I do think Paul Darrow is having a little bit of fun with it. Because when they get to the base, there's this silly scene where they're in the base and Justin calls them on Dana's teleport base and tells them where they are. And it's just a full full center frame shot of Paul Darrow. And he pulls up his gun really dramatically and goes, let's go. (laughs) And he spins around like really dramatically and marches out like he's the king of the entire planet. I just thought it was hilarious. Well, That's the only just, thing in this episode well, that I laughed at, which is so funny, because <laughs> it was just like Paul Dyer was having so much fun with that part. I just couldn't help but laugh yeah, at it. You know, in a better episode, it might have felt out of place, but in this, sure, I'll go with it. <laughs> and you know, you say king of the planet, now that Justin's dead, now that all the animals are dead, you know, maybe that spot is left open for the taking. I guess. Let's just explain the entire final three minutes of this episode, because all this happens in the span of three minutes. Dana goes back. Justin is is freaked out that Dana's like, I hate you now, Justin. This is when he offers her the the sedative. He's like, yeah, take the sedative. And she's like, no! (laughs) I don't know why he wants her to take a sedative. (laughs) The hypnol. Anyway... They, uh, Justin decides he'll only help the Federation if Servalan reverts Dana to how he, she was before. Servalan's like, I guess I can do that. They go to Servalan's ship, and Servalan, it's revealed that Servalan just whispers, you love him, you love him, into Dana's ear. And I this was like the most again. awkward <laughs> thing in Blake 7 I've ever seen. <laughs> Jacqueline Pierce just standing behind you that time going, you love him, you love him, in the most apathetic way possible. Like, this is, this is the scene I think we can tell that Jacqueline Pierce is just over this story, like, completely. Uh, yeah, I'd actually love to look up what Jacqueline Pierce thought of this episode. Again, I do think Josette Simon was doing the heavy lifting in this. She really was. And I, you know... Hats off, not that I'm wearing a hat, although not that that's an actual literalism. Not that anyone listening to this would know. <laughs> Could have just gone with it. No, but really, like, does that sound like, I don't know. This episode could have, as weird as it sounds, without Josette Simon playing it like she did, worse. this episode could have been worse. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I still think it was really bad. <laughs> We should finish explaining the plot. Yeah, we just... We, yeah, we are, just, <laughs> we've uh, given up on this episode so much. 
Avon gets contacted by Justin because Justin hears them contacting Dana through her teleport base and he says, hey, we're in this base southwest quadrant of the planet. They go. Then this hilarious gunfight where a whole bunch well, of people we, accidentally get in the way yeah. of blaster bolts. All right, but, okay, before we get to that, as soon as they get to Justin's base and see he's not there, actually before they even see he's not there, Avon bursts in. And before he, like, before it would be even possible to assess the situation, before it would be even possible to get a layout of the room, he walks in, kicks down a chair. <laughs> <laughs> like the thought process oh, behind God. this must have been like care sorry chair must kick you know oh god oh, i love avon in this story avon was my favorite part of this story <laughs> just this entire sequence avon in this entire end sequence is just amazing because then he pulls the gun and he spins and is like let's go and then at the end dana's like crying over the body of justin and, and avon just goes villa teleport us up <laughs> but again oh yeah so there's the fight sequence like you mentioned and we called out or actually you called out because i still disagree that the fight sequence in star drive was the worst in all of blake seven yeah i take that back <laughs> <laughs> again like the deaths in this seem so accidental like people just getting in the way or animals just like lumbering along it's <laughs> just a whole bunch of people caught in the crossfire <laughs> And Og gets accidentally shot by, like, I think Avon? I think that was near the end of the fight, right, if I remember correctly. So it seems like Og is going to make it out, but nope. Justin. (laughs) Justin gets accidentally shot by, like, I think Servaland, and then she just turns to her Federation trooper buddies, like, clean that up. Doesn't... God, I don't even... But wasn't it, like, Servaland just shoots him and then she, like, just turns around and they, like, head on out of there or whatever? Well, yeah, she turns to her subordinate and it's like, clean yeah, that up. Yeah. And then just leaves and I'm like, what? <laughs> so and the reason like, why this falls apart, too, is, like, nobody seems to care at all until the very end when Dana sees, like, Justin's dead body and starts wailing. You know what? The more I think about it, the more I'm just going to go with this was all part of Dana's master plan. And that that actually that actually puts that actually makes the scenes between her and Servalan better for me because remember Servalan Dana has a grudge against Servalan Servalan killed Hal and in this that's like it's not it doesn't need like it doesn't need to be brought up in the dialogue but like it's just so not present I think in anything that's going on yeah but it seems like I check into text lies or at least that's what I got out of it yeah and then when she says I love him it like doesn't say that it's a lie. And then, also when she tells Silverland she'll never get in, that it's impenetrable, it doesn't say it's a lie, and then Silverland says, well, I'll just make you hate him. Right, and I'm still just going to go with Dana had planned all this, and the scene at the end where she's, quote, weeping, unquote, is just, because you can't see her face while she's doing it, she's just, like, snickering over Justin's body. (laughs) (laughs) They'll really buy this. They'll really buy this. Yeah, but it ends with Avon just being like, Villa, get ready to teleport. Just like... Really yep. emotionlessly. This Maybe, is like yeah. the Marvel Ultimates version of Eva. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Ultra Force. You watched Ultra Force? Or do you like do you no. know what Ultra Force is? No. <laughs> it's like there's there's rights you choose, but I think the characters are now owned by Marvel, but they're definitely just like a knockoff X-Men and like <laughs> It was like a one season. It wasn't even, I don't know, it was like an early 90s cartoon, but the characters are even older from comics and stuff like that. And it's just, just look at it. It's just hilarious. Great. There's a character called Lord Pumpkin, who's like a guy with a pumpkin head, and he's like what? a mafia member from an alternate dimension. And yeah. 
was reading a Reddit thread this morning. It was like, what's the best anti-joke you've ever heard? And it was the, the top comment was this guy was walking along and he sees a guy with a peach for a head. And he's like, hey, how'd you get a peach for a head? And he's like, oh, well, you know, I was, I was in the desert and I found a, a magic lamp and there was a genie inside. And he said, hey, you want got your three wishes? What do you want? And the guy's like, oh, I, I want to be, I want to be rich. Where's this going? <laughs> I want to be rich. So the G said, okay. And, I, and all of a sudden, was, I was just surrounded by money, and there was all this money and the stock certificates and gold. And then he's like, but I, I also want a, a beautiful woman. And he said, okay. And, and then all of a sudden, there was this beautiful woman there, and she was in a bikini. She ran up to me and begged me to marry her. And then for my third wish, I wished I had a peach for her head. All right, then. <laughs> anyway, how would the story be different if it was written by Terry Nation? Uh, I actually had difficulty this week with this segment because I was like, man, this story had so little in it. What could Terry Nation have done? <laughs> what would Terry Nation have even done with this? There's like a little big blank slate with this. In my mind, I just I just figured it would be pretty, pretty similar to the web, as you've now told me it was. I, I just knew that there was... That other story with those genetic creatures. I think it would be pretty similar to the web. You know, speaking of genetic creatures, we actually get mutoids in this. Yeah. Which, again, are redesigned. I like how they redesign them, you know, new because it's as if new, as awful as this sounds, it's, it's as if new versions of mutoids <laughs> are coming. Right, I mean, really. Yeah, and no, that's, And that's something that's sort of, I like that because it's not ever like blatantly in your face, but it's something that is in the show. And when you start thinking about it, it's like, wow, they're like... Mm-hmm. That's like really unethical, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and they could have done something with that, with the animals too. With the because I was thinking, there's actually a lot of similarities between the mutoids and, and yeah, what, what Justin if, wants the animals to do. What if the animals? This this is already a better episode. But what if <laughs> what if the animals were a new version of mutoids? Right? Yeah. <laughs> and just I mean, already, like maybe that's what, what Terry Nation would have done. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, like, that's the thing. I really don't know what Terry Nation would have done with this because there's just, there's, like, not actually a lot uniquely defining this episode as as this episode, right? I think it would have been really similar to the web. Terry Nation, with his, his I guess, ability or skill to rewrite previous episodes in the exact same way that they were, like he seemed to do with the Daleks every other season on Doctor Who, would basically just rewrite the web for this story and replace the decimals with... With the animals, I don't think the romantic relationship would have been there. Terry Nation seems to be completely averse to including romantic relationships in his stories. No, the Daleks had what's their names, kind of. But yeah, like, but no, yeah, that's kind I mean, of. I, guess, I, guess, I see the difference, but you know, I think there would have been a few differences. Nothing too drastic. I think I don't think it would have been. And again, like you, all, this also makes you wonder: like, would Terry Nation have ever written like the Scorpio and also Xenon base? But like, I don't think. Uh, there would have been the situation at the beginning where it's just Dana and Tarrant, right? I think they yeah. all would have been there. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't know if Servalan would have, like, was torture, like, and brainwashing Servalan's style under Terry Nation, right? And maybe, but, like, you also have to think, is, I mean, like, would Servalan have just been, like, ready there with a gun or whatever? Or, like, you know, would she have just barged in and, and took what she wanted? Probably. Servalan, but the thing is, Servalan under, under Terry Nation was... Was, was Servalan and not Sleer, so... Was that, and also was pretty hands-off about the whole thing, so... True. Would Servalan even be doing this herself, or would she have just sent Sub-Commander, insert Travis replacement of the week here, to go do her bidding? Like, 
I feel like if Terry Nation had written the season, would have Travis 2.0 in years and would actually have a longer running Travis replacement who would actually stick around for a couple of weeks. I don't know. Even Series C didn't have a Travis yeah. replacement. I really do yeah. think it just would have been the web featuring Servalan. I don't think Servalan was in the No, in the she web. wasn't. Servalan would have been the mastermind behind the whole thing or the main antagonist. Servalan wasn't so. even introduced when the... God, that's so weird to think that there was five episodes of Wake 7 where Servalan was not a part of the show. <clears throat> uh, what I can say definitively is that no matter what Terry Nation would have done, it would have been at least more interesting than this. <laughs> Not necessarily better, but at least not as boring. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I don't really have much more. Even to, to even say if you had just re rewritten the web, I think it would have been more interesting <laughs> than this. Yeah, I have nothing else to say on this already. I feel like we railed into the really questionable romance in the story a lot, and I feel like this episode of ours kind of mirrored the episode because it's like. We sat. We just sat here and talked about this for an hour. But what did we even really talk about? We didn't really have anything to <laughs> talk about. Was the thing because the no the plot of this episode was legitimately Dana lands on the planet. Her and Justin spend thirty minutes doing stuff, doing stuff with the animals, and then in the final ten minutes, everything happens and everything can be summed up as Dana gets captured by Servalan. So it's not very interesting yeah, what happens. Servalan brainwashes her to hate Justin. Servalan captures Justin through Dana. There's a gunfight when Avon and the crew show up, and that's it. That's the story. It's done. There's like no complexity or depth, I guess. It's very surface level, straightforward, and even then, it's like five minutes of plot in a 45 minute episode. Okay, so we have a couple emails this week from our regular correspondents, Sergeant Drano and Argy, and also from Jürgen, who is quickly becoming another re- regular correspondent on the show, which is he's regular by now. Exciting. He is regular by now. I think he's been on the past couple of weeks now. He's left some comments on Facebook and stuff as well. Yeah. So we're going to start uh, off. We're going to read these emails in the in the order that they arrived. I think is a good way to do it. So Sergeant Drano's email actually arrived first for this one, and so we'll go through that one. Subject: Animals. Hey guys. So animals. An episode with the reputation of possibly being the worst episode of Blake 7. <laughs> this episode has a special place in my heart as back when I first watched Blake 7, the, this was somehow the only episode I managed to record on VHS. So after the series stopped airing for several years, this was the only Blake 7 episode I could watch. And I watched it over and over and over. I'm so sorry. <laughs> So almost immediately, we get this creepy vibe going on between Dana and Justin, him being a, quote, friend of her father's, unquote, who tutored her years ago when she was much, much younger and who, oh, yes, he will definitely remember her. Ew. (laughs) I found the interaction between the two of them to be super awkward, too. Then Dana gets menaced by something from where the wild things are when Tant and Slave dodge some plasma bolts and bugger off back to Xenon base. Uh, More like fail to dodge some plasma bolts. Tant. So nice to see Kevin Packer Stoney again. <laughs> okay, so I get that aversion therapy is going to make Dana hate Justin, but Dana would also still hate Servalan, right? So why would she work with Servalan just because she hates Justin now? Weak. I love the way Avon instantly breaks into the impregnable underground bunker, <laughs> kicks the crap out of that chair with his awesome <laughs> boots, and then Baldera almost slips on a piece of paper on the floor. Glorious. <laughs> he does a pretty good job saving the take, though. 
So Avon's three guys show up at Serverland ship, start shooting, and Serverland and her entire crew take off and run away. And then Avon's group just holsters their weapons and stands around because there's no chance the Serverland could, I don't know, bombard the site from orbit. <laughs> and finally, we cap things off with the overwrought and cringeworthy scene of Dana wailing over Justin's dead body. Wow. Definitely not Blake Seven's finest hour. This episode probably deserves the reputation it has, though still it is remarkably remarkable. It's grammatical error there. Sergeant Trino. It is remarkable how many scenes stuck with me through the years, even oh. down to the musical cues. I'll give this episode two out of seven, and that's probably being generous. Sergeant Trader Station Seven, the door. Yeah, well, I mean, well, first off, I agree with pretty much everything you said. But, you know, when you watch the episode that much, despite the fact that it is one of the worst, you know, it'll probably stick with you. Yeah, and also you gave it a two out of seven, which if you think this is the worst episode of Blake Seven, I'm wondering why the two is the bottom on your scale out of seven. He just doesn't think any are worthy of one out of seven. This is a rating inflation is what this is. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe- that's a thing, though, is that, you know, people, you rate something seven out of ten and someone's like, well, that just sucks. Well, well that's because of grades, right? Yeah, and that's seven because like 70% is a, C, is a C. Which is average, but like, supposedly. That's the thing is that like now... When you rate you rate something, we're rating to dumb. You rate something seven out of ten. Everyone's like, "Wow, seven out of ten, that sucks." And it's like, "Well, no, seven out of ten is just like it's good but not great kind of thing." Like, yeah, I like out of five ratings. Out of ten gets a little arbitrary. Yeah, I like out of uh, three point six ratings. <laughs> but yeah, now that uh, Sergeant Reno brings it up, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe Serverland's torture was just getting Dana to watch animals again and again and again. No, no, no. Well, I was going to say that we see that her torture can also work in reverse because she undoes it and makes him her yeah. love Justin again. And so I guess it's not inconceivable for her to just torture Dana into <laughs> loving her. You love me. You love me. Can you imagine Servalan just whispering in Dana's ear, you love me. You love me for three hours. Be a better episode than animals, <laughs> to be honest. Well, remember, you know, if you ever are out there thinking, man, you know what, Blake 7 episode I really hate? Animals. Just remember that... This was all part of Dana's master plan to kill Justin and make it seem like it was the Federation's fault. So that scene where she's weeping uh, over Justin's dead body with her head down, yeah, she actually has a huge smile on her face there. Who's she convincing in that, though, except her own crew? Who, like, don't... Her own crew's like, who the hell is this Justin, dude? <laughs> I mean, besides all that they stuff... Knew, they knew who Justin was to some extent. Besides all that stuff where they're like, we want you to come help us synthesize this drug to counteract this drug the Federation's making. Besides that, they're like, well, Justin's dead. Guess we'll move on to the next <laughs> genius we're going to go recruit to <laughs> yeah, our cause. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And I just realized that, like, a huge proportion of Blake 7 episodes are based around the Liberator or Scorpio crew looking for some genius who just designed something that's critical yep. and then that genius dying and then they're just like, well, I guess we'll move on to the next genius. Yeah. yeah. Just like every person who's invented something noteworthy in the galaxy is just like, oh God, please don't come for me. <laughs> they're like sitting in their base and they're like, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. I take <laughs> no it all wonder, back. I take it all back. No wonder they all went into hiding. <laughs> <laughs> we cracked the code. <laughs> Okay, so our next uh, yeah, email. Thanks for thank you for emailing yep. us, Sergeant Trainer. Thank you for getting an email in there again. Looking forward to having you back in a couple yeah, of weeks. Looking forward to talking like with you again. Like a month and a half. <laughs> no, it's like it's a couple it's weeks. It's like a month. I think. I think it's about a month. All right, from RG. Hello, Zenith Animals. I have not rewatched this episode because I accidentally watched it again recently, <laughs> and my eyes haven't yet recovered. <laughs> not even your beautiful podcast can make me rewatch this pile of excrement. 
what the hell is up with this relationship? Written in all caps, but I don't want to yell because it's going to clip the mics. If this fellow was Dana's teacher and they had a relationship going on, how bloody young was she at the time? I think Gisette's... Something I've asked myself since we watched this episode. I think Gisette Simon has great difficulty tapping into Dana's motivations to love or hate Justin. The dialogue is very poorly written. Just having her say, I hate him or I love him repeatedly is lazy writing. Nobody looks at all invested in this episode. Even Serverland looks bored. I pointed that out, and I agree. Uh. Jacqueline Pierce seems so over this script. There is a slightly nice bit where Dana interacts with Og. <laughs> but that's about the only good thing. There's little to no sexual chemistry between Justin and Dana, although I think the actor playing Justin does quite a good job with what he's given. This is a contender for worst episode of Blake 7. Let's all agree to never speak of this again. I'm off to have a shower down and safe. RG. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think Dana and Servaland. I mean, Josette Simon and um, Jacqueline Pierce. Josette. I should accentuate Josette. The Z sound. Mm-hmm. But I think they. I think they carried it, and I think the guy who played Justin, kind of didn't. I think but, Jacqueline Pierce is like way over the script. She got halfway through know. and was like, you know what? She just shredded her copy <laughs> of the script and was like, just tell me what to say and I'll say it. No, I mean, all she had to say was, you love him, so, and you hate him, so, you know, not really. Yeah, much and she looks there. like she wants to claw her eyes out when she's doing that. But yeah, awful episode. I think, I mean, I was going to say, I think the, the relationship, and I think this is something we touched on earlier in the episode, but I, I don't think it was so much like they had this relationship when Dana was like, what, five or whatever, but I think it was like a childhood crush, and now that Dana has come back, the guy is creepily like, oh, you know, you've grown up into quite a, you know, fine woman, Dana, or whatever, something like that, you know? Yeah, but it's creepy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm say, For sure. Is the bit where Dana interacts Og with Og nice because it's the only funny part of this episode because Og just launches her <laughs> off the hill. Is that why that's the only nice bit? Uh, anyway, yeah. So I think we kind of talked everything we wanted to say about animals in the episode, yeah. even though we like rambled way off plot because there barely is any plot in this episode. Yeah, we have uh, some short little emails from Jürgen. We have one that's a little bit longer and then Two shorter ones are just a sentence or two. As a linguist, Dutch and Swedish teacher, I enjoyed your discussion of the apostrophe S. We use it in our expression for in the evening. I don't know how to say that. Apostrophe S, avons. To indicate that there used to be two more letters. D-E-S, des. We're pretty sure that's not how that's pronounced. In Afrikaans, however, the equivalent has the S attached, sans. A bit like Blake 7 as opposed to Blake 7 the first time he had an apostrophe and the second time he didn't. Then he has a little emoji smiley face. Is that the first that, emoji we've had in an email? Maybe, yeah. Anyway, what I'm were you going to say? That's what the Blake 7 logo is really missing, is instead of an apostrophe, they should have put a little smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you think of Sulin standing up to Avon in Star Drive? She seems to like Dana. In Traitor, our gunslinger discusses Tarrant with Avon and how Villa dislikes their pilot. It looks like she's trying to get to know her new crewmates. Have you heard of the book Scorpio Attack based on the episodes Rescue Traitor and Star Drive? Sulin has more lines than that, although I feel she's not written to be as tough. I think I have heard of that. I've heard of it. I didn't know anything yeah, about it, but I, I know yeah. the name. Yeah, same here. When she kills the space rats, their deaths are a lot more gruesome. <laughs> 
You mentioned similarities between Dana and Su Lin. The weapons expert in Warrior would have been more able to defend herself if she had been the one to be dragged away by Atlan and used as a shield. Zenith is still the best. Keep it up. B7 Duchy. Signature. I like Sulin standing up to Avon in Star Drive. Somebody's got to knock Avon down a peg when he's going off. He's going Extreme unlimited, unlimited Avon. <laughs> but I feel like that's going to quickly disappear. Really? Yeah. I think it might not because apparently Sulin gets her own character later in this season. And yeah, not that's Callie's? exactly why I think it'll disappear because oh, really? they'll take a character in a different direction. Because I feel like that is something that Callie would have done, you know, yeah. back I mean, then. We'll have to. I have no idea where they take Sulin's character once she stops having Callie's character grafted onto her. Which I think is about the time the episode after Headhunter ish. I think. Yeah, it's supposedly halfway through the season, and Headhunter is episode six, so it should be around then. And then uh, the short little episodes. You pronounce my name correctly, by the way, Dylan. Don't worry about pronouncing the Afrikaans and Dutch words in the correct manner. You can't be an expert on all languages. A winky face. That's what you think. No, no, <laughs> yeah, you can't. Challenge accepted. <laughs> I do appreciate you wanting to use the proper pronunciation of my name, though. Yeah, no problem. And this is other one. This is a this is an email about last week's episode, which was called Black Hair Holder, which is about Star Drive. Uh, another fun episode. Black Hair Holder. Uh, crying emoji. <laughs> Crying from laughter emoji, smiley no, face. No, crying because it wasn't like a great title, probably. <laughs> no, I don't know. You mentioned Tarrant being on board with Dana and Villa having been manipulated. If you look at Stephen Pacey's face, it does look like he's guilty. Looking forward to discussion of animals. Jürgen. Well, I hope you liked the discussion of animals. <laughs> discussion. Hope you didn't like animals because if you did, you probably didn't like our discussion about it because we railed into it. Pretty hard. But we failed into a couple of things that people like too, quite a bit. We yeah, were like into Orac quite yeah. a bit, and people were like, Orac's a pretty good episode, and we were like, no, Orac sucks. And our biggest offender of doing that is Gambit. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Gambit Redux, maybe? No. Nah. <laughs> 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 I need a break. <laughs> What's one more episode, in addition to like the two extra ones we have planned, which is a good... Segway. Segway into talking about an extra episode that RG suggested when she appeared on, not appeared, but when she uh, appeared when she was on Trust Your Doctor um, last week. Yeah. Well, two days ago when this goes out. Ye- yeah. Because this goes out on. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Yeah. Two days ago when yeah, this yeah, yeah. goes out. And yeah, we decided what we're thinking of doing is we're going to, you know, originally we planned to do the way ahead after we finish with Blake, the episode Blake. And we decided, if you remember a week ago or two weeks ago, we were kind of having this discussion on podcasts and we continued our off podcast about whether or not we wanted to do like a finale wrap-up episode of Zenith after that. And we've decided that we will do kind of a finale wrap-up episode the week after the way ahead. Right. And we'll probably still do things like, you know, rankings, maybe a few top five things mm-hmm. thrown in there, but we have a much better idea now thanks to RG. Yeah. RG kind of suggested this sort of as a joke for Trust Your Doctor and then Keelan's like, we should do that for Blake 7. But basically the idea is, and we're hoping that, you know, before we get into this, this idea really works best when we have people like fans participate. So basically the idea is uh, we, want, we want to hear what like your fantasy kind of version of Blake 7 would be. Right. So you're, yeah, and you can choose anyone, even people who are totally not viable for this, like The Rock, who's going to be in mine. 
basically come up with your own, you know, sort of cast and and maybe not crew so much because that doesn't really work for this as much as or not not well, sorry, not, um, cast doesn't really work for this as much as Doctor Who. Yeah, so I think it's it's kind actually of, yeah. So man, I can't put the rock in Blake Seven. Shoot. Well, so <laughs> you know, I think this is kind of open ended. I think you can. You can do a couple of different things on this, but we want to hear like what would be your fantasy version of, of Blake 7. And you can consider that like, well, if we remade Blake 7, who would we want in charge? Or if you could pick people from any era to make Blake 7 together, you know, who would write the scripts? Who would edit it? Right. Or, or come you up could, with, with, you know, sort of story concepts yeah. for an episode or something like or that. Or if you want to do like, well, what if they did Series 5? You know, where would you take it in your fantasy universe where Series 5 of Blake 7 exists? Or Back in the day, if Blake's Heaven had come together with a different production crew of people from that era, who would you want to be on it? There's a lot of different things you can do with this, and we want to, uh, and we're leaving it like pretty intentionally, really open ended on that front because we want to see what people come up with in that aspect. Right. So I think what we're going to do is sort of, and we're going to come up with ones read, too. Yeah, we're going to come up with ones too. We'll we'll read the ideas, maybe like add on to them. Like, oh, it would be cool if like in this story blank happened or whatever. Yeah, I think we'll I do a little... Exactly what we're I do think what them. we want to do, or what I was thinking we would do is do a little speculation kind of on what they did. Sure. Kind of what we think that would look like. You know, our opinions of what we think your fantasy version of Blake 7 would look like. <laughs> so our fantasy version of your fantasy version of Blake 7. <laughs> well, just kind of like exploring kind of the options that you present, you know, if we agree or disagree and just kind of exploring them and having fun with it. This is this is like completely flippant and facetious and like just have fun with it, honestly. you If yeah. you want to put... <laughs> If you want to put John Williams as as the composer for your fantasy version of Blake Seven, you go right ahead. If you want Michael Bay to direct like every episode, you go right ahead. Like, you know, do whatever you want. If you want Pip and Jane Baker to be showrunners, go right ahead. And that's kind of like, you know, and we'll we'll be reminding you every couple of weeks until until the end of the show that we're kind of looking for this. And if you just want to send them to us in an email, or if you want to, you you can. Tweet them to Keon. You can leave a comment on yeah, the Facebook page. Yeah, you can get them in, in, in that many characters, 280. Yeah, or you can leave a comment on the Facebook page, or you can leave a comment on the website as well. You know, we've had a couple people do that. Yep. And just we're just going to collect them all up, and then, you know, on the final episode, we're going to go through all these fantasy versions of Blake 7. You know, we'll do something fun with it. It'll be it'll yeah. be exciting. It's Just trust us. It'll be good. It'll be good. I don't know. It's a way for us to try and get, like, as much... Def- we won't just read them and laugh. <laughs> It's a way for us to get as much fan interaction as possible into the final episode and just kind of celebrate this dumb little podcast that we did, I guess. Sure. Uh, but yeah, thanks again to everyone who Yeah, thank emailed. you to everyone who emailed this week. You know, Jürgen, RG, and Sergeant Trainer, thank you for emailing us once again. Yep. Email us at thedoctordeckofthevegetable.com. <laughs> Questions, comments, concerns, angry rants, love letters. Did we actually miss something about animals? I'm going to say... I'm going to say no because no. most people seem to hate this episode. <laughs> I'm say no because I think a lot of people really dislike this episode. If you uh, you can find us on YouTube at Dick and Vegetable, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith, a Blake's Seven podcast. Be sure to leave a rating if you like the show. Check us on Facebook, trust your doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter. And next time we're watching Headhunter. But until then, the end. <laughs>